Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lions Guy Podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and their lessons learned. I interview other subject matter experts on topics of performance and growth, growth, and I also review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm the founder of Lions Guide, and on this episode, we've got Mr. Chris Norris, and uh, Chris is a fun dude, number one, um, and this is a fun fun. Um, episode to do. But Chris is a 24-year-old uh, veteran of the Navy with over a decade devoted to providing uh, combat support to naval special warfare operations in demanding environments. Chris also spent numerous years dedicated to health and human services as a drug and alcohol program advisor, safety chief, and sexual assault response coordinator. Chris is a survivor of alcohol use, use disorder of over 14 years of continuous sobriety and recovery. He's an avid enthusiast of wellness practices with an emphasis on meditation, mindfulness, exercise, and nature. He is a father of two beautiful girls and a husband of a lovely girl from Thailand, uh, which we, if you hang around till the end of the podcast, we talk about how he met his wife. It's kind of, kind of a neat story. So uh, Chris is in the process of retiring from the Navy. And uh, after that, he's going to be living in Thailand where he'll pursue an education in social work and a meditation teacher certification. So on this episode, Chris and I talk about his story and the lessons he's learned and overcoming his de- demons and, and living a life of wellness. So if you like the sound of that, you know, and you ha- if you haven't already, man, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. Um, and as always, the podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in and getting value from the show, then do yourself a favor and go out to lionsguide.com and join our member community, The Pride. So for no cost to you, it's free. You get access to all kinds of free, free exclusive content to include online training, yet to be released uh, podcast episodes, uh, reading lists, live virtual training events, um, private online group to engage with other growth-minded members and, and much more. You know, Again, joining The Pride is free. Uh, I'm developing all that to help people grow, you know, break out of these ruts that we're in, break through into our potential and the next level. Uh, And it's all about, you know, establishing that clarity, you know, building up your courage and confidence and really taking ownership and being the true leader of your life. So go out there and check it out now. It's out there on lionsguide.com. You can't miss it. Uh, Join the pride today and uh, look forward to seeing you out there. And until then, let's get on with the show. guys welcome to another episode of lions guy podcast today we got mr chris norris who connected i got connected with via uh, jt frank who was a former podcast episode is a podcast host also with the consequence of habit so uh, go back and check out that lions guy episode and check check jt out but uh chris uh is a retire is retiring as we speak he's retiring from the navy after 24 years but you know what what you know chris and i got connected about was like all his insights and in wellness uh meditation breath work He's an ultra, ultra runner. Um, you know, he's overcome alcohol use and things like that. So I think, you know, a lot of knowledge and insight. So Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. Uh, yeah. So I am Chris Norris and uh, tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm originally from upstate New York, Albany. Um, I haven't lived there in about 24 years. As uh, Dale said, I'm, I'm transitioning out of the U.S. Navy as we speak. I'm literally in Bangor, Washington on a, on a sub base uh, trying to get the, the paperwork right so I can get out. 
But uh, yeah, so I'm the youngest of nine kids. Um, I have five sisters and three brothers. Uh, that's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> What's the like, age range on that? Like, are you oh, in the my middle? Goodness. No, I am the youngest of nine kids. <laughs> so imagine growing up in, <laughs> with five sisters, three brothers, uh, come from a working class family. Um, my dad and uh, mom, when I came around, they had owned a, uh, a corner store, a gas station, convenience store uh, close to Albany International Airport. And uh, it was open 24-7, 365. They only closed for about six hours on Christmas. It was uh, it was a lot of hard work. It was quite the, quite the ordeal. So instead of a yeah. family farm, you guys had a family gas store? In- yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I grew up in um, – Albany, New York, and uh, I uh, joined the, the Navy in 1997 on a on a losing streak and uh, turned my life around, uh, even though I had some hiccups along the way, as, as Dale had talked about. I had some experience with uh, alcohol use disorder, um, as we would call it, in the, the, the DSM. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, So how'd you, uh, how'd you end up in the Navy, Chris? So yeah, it's... Um, so on Christmas Eve of 1994, um, I woke up in a dingy, dark, nasty apartment in Albany, New York, and it was not my apartment. It was uh, like a college flop house. Right? You were and, how um, old? I was at in 1994. I was 20 years old. Okay. So yeah, and on the phone, on the cordless phone, not the cell phone, <laughs> was, <laughs> was my mom. Uh, so somehow or another, she got this number to this place and, uh, it was my mom. And when I picked up the phone on the other end, my mom had told me that my nephew had died. So my nephew, again, large family. So I was actually born an uncle to my nephew and my nephew had passed away driving from Syracuse to Albany, New York with his fiance, who was also killed, um, in a car accident. Hmm. So how that gets me into the Navy is coming after that phone call, I, I had driven back to my mom's house and along the way, like this little spark was lit in me that would basically that here, my nephew who was doing everything right in life, um, he had passed away and I was doing everything wrong and really just being a detriment to society. And here I still was wasting my potential, wasting my life. So I lit like a small spark in me and, uh, it took about three more years of desperation and arrest and a couple, uh, <laughs> couple of rehabs and then uh, I finally got desperate enough to join the Navy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I joined the Navy, I remember I made that, I made a commitment of like, Hey, I'm going to give this thing like everything I've got. Um, I'm going to work as hard as I can at this because I, I had never given anything I got to anything like in my whole life other than, you know, maybe like trying to get some beer and some cigarettes. And I worked pretty hard at that. Um, <laughs> so when I did that, um, and I came in the Navy, you know, I, I, I excelled and, um, I was, uh, at the time pleasantly surprised that, wow, that in the Navy, you know, there's a, there's a lot of drinking and a lot of mayhem to be had. So I, I, I fit right in. You got the you best know, of I, both worlds. You got to oh, get yeah, on yeah. and be caused, you know, mayhem at the same time. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So I was under the impression that it was going to be like this starchy, you know, like uptight, um, organization and when i joined and like uh the first place i i went after my my technical school was puerto rico and i showed up there to the barracks in puerto rico you know it was just 
it was just a madhouse. And uh, yeah, I was calling back home to my boys and saying, "Hey, man, you're like you gotta join the Navy. Like this is this is good <laughs> stuff." But yeah, so I, I went to um, when I joined the Navy, I was actually um, sober and I would say dry. I wouldn't really say I was sober. If I was, if I was sober, it would be like stark raving sober. Um, but I was dry for about eight months. And then when I, uh, at the end of my technical school, I decided like, Hey, you know, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm in California. I got a tan, I'm in shape, you know, I've got a job now and, and I'm legit. So I could probably go out and have just a couple drinks, <laughs> which is like a complete lie, you know, that I would tell myself because I had never in my life had just a couple drinks, you know, anytime I drank, it was, it was full throttle. And it was like, uh, you know, a couple of drinks would lead to about 20 drinks because it just, uh, you know, it brings about the phenomenon of craving in me and I just can't stop until uh, I'm, I'm obliterated. So anyway, from that, but, but after I, so I did, I went out and I got loaded and then, um, you know, the same things happened, which was, you know, blackout drinking and embarrassment and things of that nature. And, and but I didn't stop. I kept going. So I, I kept going for another 10 years. And uh, even though I was drinking hard and, and, and partying hard, um, you know, and to the point that it got to like real, like severe alcohol use disorder, like uh, drinking by myself in an empty house, you know, with the blinds closed and the door locked and the lights off, you know, I was still doing well in my career. I, mean, I still got picked up with Naval Special Warfare. I was I was traveling the world and, and doing fun things and doing important things, but I just could not get the monkey of drinking off my back. Um, until 2007. So 2007 incident happened and I was, uh, arrested again for something I did intoxicated. And, um, that was, uh, about the lowest point of my life. That's when I was really, uh, I took everything I had built up and I was continually building things up and tearing it down, building it up, sure. tearing it down. But that was the last time that I really tore it all down. And, um, my, my wife, I point over because she's, she's sleeping at two beds down from me here in this hotel room. I mean, <laughs> she was on her way from Thailand to New York flying in and we were going to get married and start this new life. And I'm sitting in jail in Maryland, oh. just tore down my career, 10, 10 years worth of hard work. And I'm convinced that my life is over. And uh, I'm thinking that uh, like, I can't wait to get out of jail because I'm going to kill myself when I do. I just can't take it anymore. So, so what, uh, so let's jump into that. So what is, yeah. what is then, um, alcohol use disorder? Like, cause I, you know, when you sent me your info over, I noticed you, you put it that way and I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. that I've heard it. I've heard alcohol abuse and, you know, there's the joke, mm -hmm. right? Like, like about alcohol abuse, um, you know, don't like when people spill it, they're like, Oh, that's alcohol. Yeah, abuse. Right, right, right. <laughs> As I've heard alcohol <laughs> abuse, but, um, you know, alcohol use disorder, um, mm -hmm. you know, what is that? Yes, I'd say that's a, a kind of what the medical terminology is. So from the DSM, which is Diagnostic Statistics Manual of Mental Health Disorders, um, from I don't I don't I don't know the year. I should know it, but I don't. Um, it used to be called alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. and then it was separated between alcohol abuse and alcohol dependence. And then when the DSM-5, so that's from the DSM-4 called when DSM-5 came out, the fifth edition forward, they started referring to it as alcohol use disorder with um, three uh, severity levels, mild, moderate, and severe. Mm. And I was definitely a severe. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
So, yeah. so what's the what's the kind of difference between? Do you know the difference between the um, those categories there, those severities? Um, yeah, it's just a ma- I mean, it's a matter of there's like uh, what thirteen categories or something out of thirteen questions they basically ask. So if you if you answer one, two, or three, I think up to three, it'd probably be mild. From three to six would be moderate, and then six and above or something like that. And right. That may not be exactly accurate, but it's something of that nature. Right. Right. Um, and and I I would say I I hit every I hit every wicket I was a I'm an overachiever in every. Right. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. You're like swinging for the fences. Oh, there's 13. I got to hold, hold my beer. I got those 13. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Pardon yeah. the pun. Um, but no so worries. all jokes aside, right? Like, so what what was influencing your alcohol drinking? Was it just you know was it was it in yeah. your family like growing up mm-hmm. or yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great know, what question. Was it? What's the influence? Yeah. It's like, so where, where does it, where does it spring from? And um, I'm grateful, you know, to say that like, I can't like trace it back to some massive trauma or something. You know, I wasn't abused as a child. I, you know, I had a pretty good upbringing, but so there was, there's definitely some of that gene though in my family. Like my mom has it, my dad has it, my uncle had it, my sister has it, you know, so on and so forth. So there's definitely that. And then it's just, you know, the influence of, of being the youngest uh, son. And then, you know, my brother's four years older than me and I hung out with a lot of his friends and they were, they were running and gunning, and, you know, doing their thing. And I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I took to it like a fish to water. The first time I ever got drunk, I remember I was 11 years old hmm. and I got, and I got hammered and I remember, it, and I probably had alcohol poisoning at that, at that age and that, you know, my, my body makeup, um, and I remember thinking as bad as it was, you know, the next day, like, I was like, I knew I was going to do it again. Like, I knew I was like, man, that was, you know, it had, cause there was a point somewhere there in time where like all the stars aligned and everything was right in the world, you know, for me, um, it, during that intox, that intoxicated period. So it is important though. I think it brings up important topic of like, you know, it's, it, it's more than just stopping drinking when I, when I sobered up and, and got into recovery, you know, there's a lot of uh, intrinsic work that needed to be done. And, um, I, I went to therapy and rehabs and the whole nine, you know? Yeah. But there's, there's nothing I can pinpoint on. I can't say, well, it's because of this trauma or, or this one thing. So right. I'm a big fan of like a, a multi-causational model of, of what causes addiction. You know, I, I don't think you can trace back to just say one thing, you know, right. many, many different factors and it can be something different for everybody. So what were the big yeah. impacts? Like what were happening? What was happening to you as a result right now? It's hindsight looking back, you know, uh, you're, you're going to have to tell the Baltimore story or Maryland, wherever you were. Um, yeah. and, but, but what was, I mean, what was happening? Like what was, you know, you said you were still kind of, it sounds like you're still telling the line as far as your job was concerned, but what were mm-hmm. the, you know, mental, physical, uh, you know, emotional relationship impacts that you were kind of up against? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So physically I was, I was, 25 pounds heavier than I am right now, you know, right. and I was, I was, I was at totally out of shape and I'm sure my, my liver was, uh, was, was damaged being damaged, you know? Um, but mentally too, you know, it was, um, and it was just, it was so rough. It would be like, um, I had, I had massive anxiety, you know, and, and, and I would be dealing with that a lot. And, uh, and then the alcohol was like, you know, a crutch for that. And then, but it would cause more. So it's like, I mean, when you're drinking for to, to handle anxiety or you're drinking to handle depression, like, it's like, Hey, let me try to put this fire out. And what do I have to work with? Oh, I got some, some gasoline, you know, let me throw that on there. Oh, that's not working. So it's just like, um, well, it's like a, it's so, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, 
it's a fake, right? It's it's not really working. You think it's working, right? It or at least it it dulls the pain temporarily because you don't have a better option, right? You know, you don't you haven't right. found what else can dull the pain, so you just go back to that because you don't have any other choice, kinda, so to speak. Right. It's a it's a so as I would say, it's like a temporary solution that causes long term problems. Sure, rather yeah, than like, you know, rather than rather than the opposite is true now with recovery, where it's it's short term struggles for a long term benefit, because it's not always easy to stay sober. You know, there's going to be challenges there for sure. When 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 you're I mean, you're working in the in the you know workforce and there's there's going to be social engagements and things of that nature that you're going to have to you're going to have to attend if you, you, know, you want to be, you know, within the organization and there's gonna be drinking and you have to deal with like hey how do i make it through that without drinking and things like that those are the struggles and also like you know just you know the, the struggles of wellness all together is like you know working out it's a struggle and what is it doing well it's making you stronger so but yeah so back to like how i was suffering i mean it got it got bad man it got to the point where like i was literally locking myself in my house every night and drinking to oblivion and uh then there would be you know i mean i was yeah i was i was holding together at work Kinda, but there was also like, you know, an incident would pop up every now and again where I would get loaded and do something or say something stupid. And, uh, while you're loaded or as a result of being hung over the next day, um, while both <laughs> really while I was loaded and then, and you could really, some of the times you couldn't even call it hungover for the next, you know, the next day you would say, you know, just not as intoxicated as he was last night, but he's still intoxicated today. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was getting really bad. And then it would, but at the same time, so back to that, like, hey, I work my freaking ass off. You know, a lot of that is enabling where folks will say, hey, you know, yeah, he's, he gets loaded. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks drink in that community. A lot of folks drink in the military and they drink to excess. And it's, you know, it's it's pretty accepted. So it's like people would cover up. I mean, I, I probably could have been in rehab in 1998 for things I did on like my second, first and second deployments in the Navy, but I didn't because my chain of command was like, this guy works his ass off. Let's sweep this under the rug and allow him to continue to work. Um, and I don't blame any, you know, I don't blame anyone for, for how far down the, the hole I went, but you know, when I, it was even to the point, like when I, when I really, in 2007, and we'll get in the story in Maryland, what happened was, is I was uh, on, I was doing a week of training and testing with Naval Special Warfare on some some uh, maritime mobility platforms. And um, at the end of that week, we had a little uh, picnic, a little barbecue, you know, and everyone has three beers and they're like, oh, it was a great time. Let's, you know, they're going to bed. And I have three beers. It makes me want to have 30 more. And now I have the keys to a, a vehicle and I'm like, I'm going out. So I, I took, I took a government vehicle out in town and got loaded. So where were you? DC or? No, I was in, um, uh, Patuxent river, uh, Maryland. River. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I got, yeah, I guess I got pulled over like two o'clock in the morning driving a government vehicle and blew three times the legal limit. (laughs) Jeez. That's my, yeah. (laughs) So that's my story. And I, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. You know, like I tell like people like that's best case scenario, man, what happened for me. It really saved my life. And it probably saved a lot of other people's lives, you know, could have been a heck of a lot worse, you know, as I like to remind myself is like, I could have been waking up in jail from a blackout with a lawyer telling me that we think we can get you manslaughter, you know, that's, that's sure. I guess where I was headed. You know, I was headed as, as I think I told you, um, as a conversation we had before was like, you know, drinking for me is like, it's going to end up in one of three places. Either I'm going to the morgue, I'm going to the mental hospital or I'm going to prison. 
That's that's what it is. So it's like when I if I if I belly up to a bar tonight, I'm putting I'm not just putting like twenty bucks on the bar. I'm putting everything. I'm putting my entire life, everything I have today is going on the bar. And uh, grateful I'm just, I don't intend to do that. <laughs> and and the, so the Pax River incident that was your um, tipping point to, to yeah. So so what happened? Like what as far as you know, what was the tipping point for you? Right. So, so, cause I think it's interesting, right. You talked about your one tipping point with, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, your nephew passing and you kind of saying, Hey, well, I'm, I'm wasting my life and he just lost his and he was doing everything right. Um, you know, similarly, what was this one like for you? Well, there's, so there's a lot of like, you know, false starts where I would like go out and have a bad incident and I'd be like, that's it. I'm never drinking again, you know? And then it, that would be, I'd be saying that shit at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And then by four o'clock that afternoon, I would forget about it and start again. Um, so there's a lot of these little tipping points throughout my, my, uh, my drinking career. Um, but for the, how this one was different was, you know, it's like, oh, I finally, things were like coming together and I built it up and built it up and built it up. And now I'm like, oh my goodness, I tore it back down again. And that was like, I wasn't sure, honestly. I mean, I, I honestly wasn't even sure at the time when I said like, this is it, like I'm done, you know, whether or not it was really going to stick, you know, um, and it's like, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it's a pretty good indicator of how serious I was about, um, about staying sober was when I started telling people that I was staying sober, <laughs> when I started talking about it to people yeah. that were close to me in my circle, because if I hadn't, then I was like, Hey, I don't want, I'm, you know, I don't want to tell anyone I'm, I'm sober enough because, you know, crying out loud with the day I want to uh, drink, I don't want them giving me a hard time. Well, why are you drinking? I thought you said you're sober enough. So, well, hey, that's <laughs> just, uh, I just read that. I just finished a book called The One Thing. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it calls that out. Talk, it, it cites some research that says, you know, hey, uh, you know, you're 44% more probable, probable to accomplish your goal if you write it down, mm-hmm. but you're like 77% more probable to accomplish your goal if you write it down and you go tell the people in your circle, you know? And so right. I, I think that's interesting that, that you call that out, right? You're, you kind of, you're a case study in that kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that research at yeah. this point. Yeah. So, I mean, but the, it's like the tipping point is also different for everybody. And I don't, I don't like it. There's that saying that goes around like, Oh, you have to hit rock bottom. It's like, well, it doesn't have to get that bad. You know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to bring it all the way down. Hey, you man, you think burn. you ought to stop drinking? No, man, I got, oh, man. I got more digging to do. I, I can dig this <laughs> hole deeper, you know, right. I'm waiting Hold my beer. fucking house down, you know, it's like, no, like you, you can stop. So it's like, um, it, it's just hard to do though, because I mean, even as miserable as it is, like there's familiarity in it. It's like there's familiarity in that lifestyle. There's familiarity and 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 knowing that. Oh, I mean, oh, you know, there's there's more misery coming. But I was more scared of like I didn't know I uh, you know sobriety scared the crap out of me. When I sobered up and, and got into recovery, I had literally been you know drinking and either intoxicated in withdrawal, you know, for two decades. So when I, when I sobered up, I literally was like Ricky Bobby, like Talladega Nights. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands, man. Like, I don't, I don't know how to live sober. I had no idea. I had to completely re, you know, relearn life. And and with was, regard to mm-hmm. um, the recovery process, like the quick question I have for you is like, did you go through the withdrawals and, and all that? Like, cause I, I've, I've heard, and I, I don't know a lot about this, but I've heard, and maybe you do, um, you know, the, the medical implications of drinking so much and then not drinking. What, what was the process of recovery for you 
in that regard? Yes. Yeah. So I went, I mean, I went through regular withdrawals of like, you know, shaking where it's like delirium tremens and stuff like that. But if you've been drinking like, you know, excessively and your alcohol use disorder severe for an extended period of time. Um, yeah. The withdrawals of alcohol can, it can literally kill the person. So that's why a lot of times it's, it's suggested that you medically have a medically supervised detox, uh, mm-hmm. detoxification from alcohol because you can get into uh, seizures and, and delirium tremens and hallucinations. And, and so on and so forth. So, um, and I did, I went to a rehab through the Navy. Um, and then at the end of that rehab, uh, I got big into a 12 step program, you know, 12 step fellowship. Uh, I credit that with saving my life. And, and I, I attacked that like with the, with the fever that I attacked everything, you know, it was like, I went full bore. I was going to at least a meeting a day and you know, two, three meetings on the weekends. And I had a sponsor that, that worked with me and I went through all the steps and all that. And yeah, I was, I was in there. Um, I had to, I mean, I had what were to. The, what were the key attributes of the 12 step program that kind of, you know, why, why was that what saved mm-hmm. your life? You know, what, what were the aspects that, that you think are key to your recovery? Yeah. I think that it's the, one of the biggest things it does is it gives you a fellowship of people that understand what you're going through and that, you know, that truly care about you and want to see you succeed. You know, I mean, during that time, it was a, it was a troubled time in my life. It was bad. I was at a super low point and all these people that I, that I called my friends, you know, it turned out that they were really just my drinking buddies. Cause once I wasn't drinking anymore, they stopped calling. And once it was like, Oh, he's in trouble and he's got some shit going on. It was like, I had a, some communicable disease and nobody wanted to be in the room with me anymore. And the people that were calling and seeing, checking in, I mean, saying I was doing were people that I, that's the most part I didn't even know. There were strangers I met in a room of, of people in recovery from an alcohol use disorder. Um, so the, it, the biggest thing it, it gave me was fellowship and it gave me, um, some purpose, you know, it gave me something to do. It gave me, there was tons. I was in Virginia beach at the time. There was tons of these meetings, you know, that were happening day and night. And, um, you know, it, it gave me that. And then the, the 12 steps gave me, you know, a, a, a breaking down of my ego and, and, and showing me how powerless I was over alcohol. And then, you know, introducing me to some, some higher power or whatever that may be, you know? Um, and then, you know, giving me say, Hey, how about you, uh, take some direction and, 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 and take some, you know, take some, uh, cues from, from the program and, and, uh, do a, do an inventory of my life, which was, which was huge. But I think one of the biggest, the biggest steps that like it rings is there's a, there's a point it's the fifth step in, within the 12 steps. And it's, um, that you admit your faults to, to God, to another person, uh, and completely. So when I was, that was like one of the big things, it's like a confession, you know? And I sat down and like, I went over my whole life, like my deepest, darkest secrets. And, um, it's really a very vulnerable time. And I went over this stuff and I told another person, um, some of the things as I call them, like the ones that like the stuff that I was like, man, I'm never telling anyone about this. The stuff that, you know, is really bad. The stuff like when I was doing it, I was like, don't ever tell anyone about this. And I told someone, I told, I told someone that stuff. And, um, and when I did, I remember, I remember I would, I would tell him a little, and then I would look at him, you know, I'd look at him in the eyes and be like, all right, he's still here. He hasn't run out of the room yet. I'll tell him a little more and all right, he's still here. And then at the end um, of this session, which was like four hours, you know, this guy 
stood up and he, and he hugged me and he told me he loved me and he told me everything was, you know, everything was all right. And he was like, he was still my friend, like, you know, and I was like, man, I was just like, like weight just coming off of me, you know? And it's like, that's the thing, you know? And it's like, it's, as I talk about vulnerability today, it's one of those things where like, I mean, it, it I don't know, I, I say 15 years ago, I never would have got on a, a podcast like this and told you any of this stuff, you know, because yeah. I was ashamed. You know, but yeah. today I can talk openly about it and I can be vulnerable about it because I know that it's connecting you and I a little deeper. It's connecting the, the listeners and I a little deeper. And it's also it's a win win because it's making me more comfortable in my skin, you know, because yeah. I can tell you these things and you can relate to the humanness of it. And, um, you know, it, it's I'm OK. I'm all right. You know, I'm all right today. So. Well, you said it great earlier. Like, what did you say? It uh, the short term pain for the long term gain, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think this is that, right? Like, it's it's a part. Yeah, it's it's, it's an example of that, right? You're going through the pain of you know coming clean, but the long term mm-hmm. benefit is the freedom of it. You know, the freedom of you know the vulnerability and kind of putting it out there and or getting it, you know, you know, unburdening yourself a little bit. So, I think it's yeah, awesome. for sure. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I, yeah, it's those long, those short-term struggles for the long-term benefits, which right, is yeah. the exact opposite the way I, I lived my life before. And um, so it's like, so I, I mean, and that goes into like a lot of different things I do. You know, now I, I lean into discomfort. I'm not, I'm not scared. <laughs> you know, sometimes I chase it. I don't, you know, I got to be careful. I'm not, I'm not getting into it in like some weird, like uh, addictive way, you know, with like ultra running or things like that. But yeah, I lean into it. The, um, when you mentioned the, the powerlessness against mm-hmm. alcohol, I hadn't heard that before. What, what do you mean by that? Like you learned that you were powerless against alcohol. Basically, I mean, it means that, you know, if left to my own devices, I'll drink again. Um, so, and especially like once I, you know, if I can keep it out of my body, like I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> but the second it, I, if it, if it gets into my system, like it gets its hooks into me and I, and I won't, and I won't be able to resist that. The, the, the thing we call it the phenomenon of craving, which is like, you know, I don't have a lot of craving for alcohol. It's all, it's really all mental. But once I get it in my body, it's an actual physical thing where it feels like I'm hungry but it ain't hung. I'm not hungry for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like I know there's yeah. only one thing that's going to, it's going to suffice. And that Is that typical experience. of all addictions? Do you know, like, it, cause you know, I talked, I talk about sugar like that. Like I I've noticed and I, it's cause, you know, back to your weight, you're losing 25 pounds. Number one, I'll throw this out there again. I, I say this all the time. You want to lose weight, cut out alcohol and sugar. Watch what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like right. <laughs> if you do nothing else, cut it. If you want to easiest way to start losing weight, cut out alcohol and sugar, watch what happens. But, um, the, the, the phenomenon I'm craving, like I'll have that with sugar. So I've, I've definitely worked of getting sugar out of my system and conscious of that. Um, but you know, I'll eat a full meal and my body will be like, nah, man, nah, I know know you just stuffed down 2000 calories, but you're still hungry. You're still (laughs) hungry. Look at that. Look at that little pantry with all your kids, little junk, junk snacks in there. Like you won't eat. Go look in there real quick. See what you got. But it's, I know that like I've had to build this awareness, right. To go. No, you're not hungry. That's that freaking little, that's that yeah. little sugar addiction kind of going. Hey, yeah. now we're not done eating yet. You, you, you go look in that pantry, buddy. So, yeah, really. 
yeah, you're not alone, man. I'm the same in the same exact <laughs> way. And then, then again, if I if I if it's one piece of candy, it's a phenomenal. Oh, it's record. curtains. And yeah, it's, it's like, curtains. Yeah, forget it. You must take the whole bag to bed with you. <laughs> you know, and look, you were talking about this earlier, but when I was running hard a lot in training, that was my excuse because we talked about like you know, you know doing great, and then so hey, I do awesome, so I can smash a box or two of little debbies like you know i just burned 2000 calories on a run so right, you know right. what the hell um yeah. but man you know so so is that back to the phenomenon of craving and this uh, hunger is is do your knowledge or maybe through the stuff you've learned through all this is that is that typical of all addictions like you kind of that hunger is what I, you it know, is I, yeah i think they're they're i think like every substance is going to affect the user a little bit differently but yeah i mean i think it that's they, they they share a lot of more commonalities than they do differences. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, like we were talking about, like, hey, well, what causes this? Well, a lot I mean, a lot of stuff can be traced back to trauma. And a lot of it is like, you know, it's just like it's almost like it's like having a hole in your soul, you know? It's like you're filling it and, and people fill it with different things. It might be you might be filling it with with shopping, sex, work, you know, you know all these different things just to like as I would say, like anything that anything that get me outside of myself. I could do to excess and I could do to a to detriment, you know, because like if I didn't work uh, a, a, some type of program of healing and recovery um, and I just went abstinent from alcohol, my experience was that my addiction became a shapeshifter and I would just pick up something else, you know, yeah. and at the time, even though they're like healthier habits, I mean, I could I could run myself into the ground with exercise over exercise, or I could, you know, I could, uh, get into as I did, like, um, like I got a motorcycle in early sobriety because like one of the suggestions was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. So it was like, well, why don't you get back into the things you gave up for alcohol? And I was like, well, that's a great idea. I was like, well, one of the first things I could think of is like, I remember I sold my motorcycle cause you know, I needed money for, you know, partying and I sold my motorcycle and, uh, I was like, I'm going to buy a motorcycle. So I bought a motorcycle, but I couldn't just ride a motorcycle like a normal human being. You know, I put 60,000 miles on that, on that motorcycle. And then it was like, I got into, um, there was this GPS treasure hunting game called, uh, geocaching. And I couldn't just go out and find five geocaches. No, I found 1500 geocaches. Like it was just like, everything was in excess. Like anything I did was like, I used to, I used to joke and say like, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. You know, so. <laughs> well, dude, uh, I've, I, you know, what stuck with me on this very topic, uh, Joe Rogan said on his podcast once, cause he would talk about uh, people would say they're addicted to weed or weeds addictive. And his response to that was if someone's addicted to weed, it's just because weed got there first. Meaning mm. if it were sex or alcohol or gambling or whatever, if someone it's, it's just, it's really the personality disorder of getting addicted mm. to x and and that's what that was his thing and and i think that's a little bit of what you're saying here like you got an addictive personality mm-hmm. um you know where you get i, I, I don't know I'll, I'll use the medical term ocd i don't know i'm medically trying to describe it that way but you know you get obsessed with this one thing or the fulfillment of the one thing or that activity and that's it like you latch onto it and stay on and mm-hmm. at one point it's alcohol and then you like start to replace it with other things um yeah so and I think it's also a lot of it too is like uh, is like getting new things, like getting new habits. So it's like that you get addicted to like that honeymoon phase of a of a new thing, and then it's like here's my new thing, and then you get like I bring that to excess. So I'm like okay, screw that, I'm done bored with that. What's the new next new thing? You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. So and as as I I've 
said in the past is like, if I don't heal the underlying conditions of whatever's going on and, and really embrace a completely different lifestyle, you know, it's like, uh, then I'll just play. Like I said, it's a shapeshifter. I'll just pick something else up. I'll just do something else. And it might look like, Oh wow. Chris is like super motivated and dedicated to exercise. It's like, no, Chris has a exercise, exercise use disorder now, a with <laughs> an eating disorder, you know, and, you know, and he's also a workaholic, you know, if you need him, you know, call him on his uh, office phone. He'll be there. So yeah. um, I was going to ask then is, is I wrote this question down in, in preparing for this episode and you know, is there a balance to be had with drinking versus not drinking or, you know, and I know the easy answer is, Hey, it depends on the person, but you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, as far as any kind of balance of just having two versus going stage 10 <laughs> nuclear. Yeah. I, I know for, for me personally, again, yeah, you're right. The easy answer is it says, you know, for me is it's this way and for others it might be. And, and, and I, I know I, I, I like, for me, it's like, I may have been a cucumber at one time in my life, but I'm a pickle now and I'll never be able to go back to being a cucumber again. Oh, I love that. So, so it's like, I, you know, I have, I have the alcohol use disorder. So even though I haven't had a drink in over 14 years, because that incident in, in Maryland was, you know, March 31st, 2007, man, that's it. Like I haven't had a drop alcohol since. Um, and I don't, I don't intend to test the theory to see whether or not I could have another drop of alcohol because I think that the phenomenon of craving would come right back. And then it's everything I've built up here, which is, you know, a successful career in the Navy, um, married to that girl that I didn't know who was going to pick her up in New York, you know, from Thailand. And, um, for over 14 years, uh, I got an eight year old daughter and I got a six month old baby sleeping here and we're ready for our next chapter of life. And, uh, yeah. that chapter, that next chapter does not involve alcohol. Like I'm completely different person than I was, you know, when I was drinking. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called the pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level and join me on lionsguide.com and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. You know, when I talk to guys about this, um, and, 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 you know, like I talked about, and I'll, I'll say this for the audience to hear, right? Like, this isn't an anti-alcohol podcast. This is a growth podcast, right? And and I find more and more each each week, you know, uh, people are coming, kind of coming to this realization. That's why I, I don't, 
you know, it comes up a lot and this is why it comes up a lot, right? You know, it's not a, this isn't a, like say anti-alcohol campaign or am I against people that drink? No, it's never that. But um, on the topic of growth, you know, people hit this realization point where it's not serving and they start to balance or start to analyze what its impact value is as compared to those things that can and should be important to them. Right. Mm. And kind of weigh in like, Hey, look at, look at what this is stealing from the good in my life. Right. Whether it's your relationships Mm -hmm. or your ability to do your job better or find your other passions or whatever. Um, And I, I don't know, I'm proud to say like a lot of people have come to me, after the podcast, since I've been doing the podcast, kind of talking about that. And and, it, and that's why I do enjoy talking about this because I think a lot of people have these doubts, like what I've gone through, you've gone through, like, you know, trying to keep up with your drinking buddies or, you know, trying to avoid the um, the pissing party when you're, when you say you're not drinking, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh man, you're not drinking. What's wrong with you? And, <laughs> you know, and that's, all, again, that's all about them. Like, cause they're mm-hmm. thinking like, well, I'm, what are you saying about me? If you're not going to drink and it's not about you, it's, it's, it's about me. That's is my response. Like, so don't take it personal. Um, right. you know, so it, it's something that, um, you know, people, I think hit this point where they go, man, this, this is just one thing that's not serving me. Um, right. and I'm with you. Like, I think I've got everything you describe. I think you and I are two peas in a pod with regards to like, <laughs> if I get my latches on something, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's curtains. Like I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> so I, I was talking to my buddy JT. Cause like, I got to focus on one thing at a time because if I have multiple things going on, like I'm going to go ham on all three of those things at the same time. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to drive myself crazy. Um, so I, I'm with you with regard to the drinking. Like I've, I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not going back. Um, you know, I almost said, I don't think I'm going back, but I'm not going back because of that. I think like once, once I tip it, I kind of like started and I, and I was never like raging alcoholic or anything like that, but I just know the, the impacts are not serving to my current mm-hmm. mission, like who I want to be for my kids, like what I want to get done with my, myself, my life, my family, whatever. Um, so it's not worth it. Like it's literally not worth the test. Like, like I think you, you said, like, it's, it's not worth testing it. You know, what, what am I trying to prove? Like, Hey, I can get away with it, you know, like, yeah. And then I'll, and I'll get, go down this road of denial where I was like, wow, it wasn't that bad. And, you know, maybe next time we'll be better <laughs> or, or, or what my mind does, it'll latch on and be like, well, remember that one time, that one time in like 2003 where you did have three beers and you didn't get obliterated. See, you're not an alcoholic. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, what's been a benefit to that journey for me is like the availability of non-alcoholic stuff that actually tastes mm-hmm. pretty good. And I don't know if you're drinking any NA stuff, but I do now. Um, uh, that has helped kind of give me something else to do. Um, you know, like socially, you know, when I'm out mm-hmm. at events, um, you know, it's, 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 it's nice. I enjoy because I man, I just drink coffee and water all day, you know. Right. So standing there at a social <laughs> gathering, drinking water, or I don't drink coffee after three, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I need something different, you know. Right, and right. so, so I've this, you know, year I guess of not drinking has been, um, you know, my saving grace has been the non-alcoholic availability. Like Heineken's really yeah. good. I, I, this weekend I had at the Maryland Renaissance festival, I had this dogfish, like, I think it's lemon fest or something that was really good. Um, you know, sorry, uh, Budweiser, yours tastes like trash. Of course, of course that tastes, tastes <laughs> there so was that sponsorship. <laughs> sorry. Damn, the dude just hung up and he was, he was dialing into my voicemail. No, but, um, Heineken zero is good. Um, you know, the, the dogfish one was pretty good. So, so, 
right? It's uh, it's not alcohol, right? It's a beer. It's a it's something to drink, and it's it's kind of, they're kind of low calorie and stuff like that too. As a result, yeah. they're they're not bad. Um, yeah. So that's that's really helped me um, to. Heard there's some um, good ones out there. I've heard uh, like Athletic Brewing has some really good ones, but I haven't yeah. tried any of it. Um, again, I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm a little nervous, man. I'm a little nervous about trying that because I think I'm at a I'm probably at a different level of alcohol use disorder than than yourself that you may have had. Well, you, yeah. I mean, as far as what you described, yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't right, right, right. <laughs> nuclear, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it wasn't, it wasn't amateur hour where I came from, man. I was pro <laughs> pro at it. You know, whenever, whenever, I mean, one of the good indicators of it was like, I mean, one time I called my, my drinking a career, my drinking career. Like that's like, who the hell says that? You know? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it may not be the best idea for me, but it might work for someone else. And I, you know, I'm all about it, man. Whatever works for individuals have at it. And I just know for me, it's, it may not, I don't think it would work out too good. Yeah, no. And I appreciate you even kind of talking about it in that regard, because it helps affirm the kind of my position on it and kind of helps remove some doubt on that position of, yeah, could I just have a beer? You know, uh, could I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd say probably at the Renaissance festival this weekend, like full disclosure, like, I was in line to probably have a beer, you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, man, every year I love coming to this thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's so nice outside, walk around, have a beer. And I was in line with my, um, my stepdad, my mom and uh, they're drinkers and they, they, they do it casually and, and all good. No, no, nothing crazy there or whatever, but they enjoy yeah. to have a beer. And, um, I was in line with them like, yeah, okay. And then, and then he looks up and on the rack, he said, man, dogfish, look, there's a non-alcoholic right there. And it's like, and there was a part of me, it's like, thank God, you know, like, Right, right. You know, thank right. God, get me that, you know, and I was good because I was trying to put something in my hand that wasn't mm-hmm. water. Um, and mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so, and I, and like I say, I appreciate you kind of telling your tale of like not even dabbling, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of like playing with a firecracker, like, well, let me light this and see how long I can hold it. <laughs> and if I can get rid of it so before it my, fingers my fingers off. off. <laughs> <laughs> why yeah, do man, that? You know? Yeah, exactly. Why, why are you playing that game? <laughs> like you really, you know, so I guess that's, um, yeah. That's when it I'm comes at, to so. events like when it comes to events like that, man, like I would, I would, I would be pre- like, if I went to that, especially in early sobriety, like I'd be prepared to like just cut loose and I'm out of here, man. I don't care. And like, I'm ready to say, I'm like, I would save my ass, you know, before I worried about saving my face. But and it was my experience too, is like, like at, at events like that, like nobody, nobody cares what I'm drinking. And if they do care, like if anyone's giving me a hard time about why aren't you drinking, it's, that's a pretty good indicator. They probably have a problem with alcohol as well. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that, again, you know. back to my experience, like that was me. Like if I was at an event and you were with the event with me and you weren't drinking, I'd be like, what the hell? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, I don't, I didn't trust people that didn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's odd, right? Like when you're a drinker, yeah. you kind of go, well, what's, what's, what's up with this dude? You know, what's, what's right. Right. What's going on? Right. Yeah, no, I feel, yeah, I, I think you're, you're yeah. spot on with something there, but <laughs> I, I think you're right. And that's, that's a part of like maturing, you know, out of it, you know, is realizing like, well, Hey, you know, so <laughs> that is, that is drinking, getting over <laughs> it, man. Um, yeah. but no, I, like I say, I, I, I think it's awesome. Um, so what, what have you filled filled the hole with at this point? You know, I know, yes. I know in your bio we talked that you've got a ton of stuff with meditation, ultra running, mm-hmm. breath work. Like, what yeah. what what focus areas are important to you now? Yeah. So, what keeps me um, going and, and grounded and and in wellness is yeah, I've gotten into meditation. I've been a daily meditator for about six years now, and uh, also got into exercise. And um, yeah, so I started uh, 
around the same time, actually. Now I think about it, I started meditating and, and running uh, long distances right around the same time. And then also, you know, I mean, I got my career back. I recovered from that, from that hiccup in my career. And, and, uh, did you get knocked down in rank? Oh yeah. 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 I got to make E I got to make E five twice and I made E six twice. And, um, man you think so they, they broke you down to what like what were you in 2007 yeah so i was so i was a, a senior e6 or a senior first class petty officer getting ready to take the chief petty officer exam and then i went from that to week one day one e5 like mm. where i was so it, it took me three it took me three years in the navy to make e5 right and then at year 10 <laughs> i went all the way back to where i was at year three right and um yeah so and with that, um, you know, back to like my, my work ethic, I was like, I'm not, I'm going to work my tail off regardless, you know, regardless of anything, I'm just going to work my ass off until the last day in the Navy. Cause I was pretty sure that I was going to get booted out on a thing that's called higher tenure, which you can only stay for so long at a certain rank. And I was, and I was approaching that now and I couldn't believe it. I was like, Holy crap, I'd had such a great career now approaching higher tenure, but yeah. But yeah. So, I guess you're hitting higher tenure as an E5, right? Because your time in yeah, service at E5 right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. think about that. I was about to get kicked out higher tenure and then I made E6 the second time. And as I joke, I'm like, man, you think it's, it's good to make E6 the first time. It's even better the second time, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, yeah. And then I continued to work my tail off and I, with that hiccup in my career, I was like, well, I'll never be selected for chief petty officer, but it happened. And I did, it happened like, uh, I didn't even intend for it to happen. Like I was just like, I just work my tail off because that's what I do. And that's who I am. That's part of my personality is, uh, I learned that work ethic from my parents and, uh, I just bust my hump and that's probably one what, of my, one of my qualities to what, what do you think contributed to, you know, that, you know, you Hey, I'm not going to pick up E6. I'm not going to get selected for E6 because of what happened. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you got you know, why do you think you end up getting E6 despite that? Well, I think so. I think there was definitely some influence from the senior leadership there where they were like, hey, you know, this guy's learned his lesson. He's doing the right thing and he's busting his hump. And they could tell, like, I took full responsibility and was fully accountable for my actions. And I was also took that lemon of an incident and the lemon of my alcohol use disorder and started making lemonade out of it where I got into like, Hey, let me go around all the departments. Let me talk to everybody about what happened. Let me tell them my lessons learned. And then also, Hey, let me become the drug and alcohol program advisor as a collateral duty because I'm really into this and I really want to help people. And, um, so with that, they're like, I mean, <laughs> it sounds silly, but I went from E6 to E5. And then when I made E5, you're like, this is the number one E5. I'm like, well, yeah, cause I'm supposed to be an E6, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important, right? Like, you know, that you get out there and show you're not that person anymore. You know, mm -hmm. um, had a great podcast with uh, 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 Craig Stanlin who committed a felony and did prison time, or whatever. And he wrote a book mm -hmm. called Blank Canvas and it was really about starting all over. But I think like, that's why I asked that question because I wanted to hear, right? Like you went and demonstrated that you weren't that guy anymore. Like you were actually a guy deserving of E6, Right. Mm -hmm. You know, not you weren't being punished for who you were, but being rewarded for who you are and demonstrating that. And I think right. that's that's awesome. I, it's awesome. To know. I think. Yeah. And that brings up a, a, another point is like, you know, we talk about change and stuff like that. Like it has to be that deep, deep change where, like you said, you're not that guy anymore. Like I'm not the type of person that does X, Y and Z anymore. So it's not just like oh, I want to lose 25 pounds. 
and, you know, here's how I'm going to do it. It becomes like, I'm the type of person that eats healthy and I'm the type of person that exercises, you know? So this has to be like, I'm not, the, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy now that doesn't drink and takes care of themselves and, and can be trusted and works, you know, still works their tail off. So it's really a deep, deep change. Yeah. comes from a deep level. No. And I think, and I think that even aside from the external, you know, people should know, like, you don't, you can stop punishing yourself too, right? If you made a mistake and you know it was a mistake and you know you're not that person anymore, right. then stop punishing yourself, right? Like right. you're not that person anymore. Like leave that behind, turn the page and, and, right. and grow from yeah. forward. And it really, yeah, and a, and a big indicator of like the change that's happened is that, you know, I, I look back on that stuff now and I'm grateful for it. Like that was the best thing that happened to me. Like, you know, that whole incident, that was, a, that was a, at the time it was like, it doesn't feel like it you know, as it's happening, but you know, in hindsight, it's like, that's the best thing that, that happened to me, man. Cause it got me to where, you know, it got me, got me malleable. It got me teachable. It got me broken down to the point that I could be rebuilt. And, uh, yeah. When you did the, uh, um, you know, drug and alcohol program advisory and, mm -hmm. and sexual assault advocacy and all that stuff, like, mm -hmm. were you counseling people or were you just speaking? Not like, so what, much. what was your role? Uh, I was, it was more like a case management type thing where I was, uh, I was an advisor within the command. And, um, a lot of times they, they make that a collateral duties where you have this job and you also have your drug alcohol program advisor on the side. But the command that I came into is a command of, of about 750 people. And they had had such a rash of alcohol related incidents and stuff like that. that they decided, Hey, we're going to take this collateral duty and we're going to make it full time. We're going to have this one person that does it full time. And they look for volunteers and I couldn't put my hand up fast enough. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do that full time. So I came on board and that's all I did was I basically did case management and, uh, I did a little bit of screening, but not screening, like, um, not anything that's uh, clinical. So I did screening as far as like admin screenings and got people to someone who did a clinical screening and got them a level of treatment. And then I monitored their aftercare program when they would come back from treatment and I would have meetings with people once a week. And then I also, with that, I put together some, uh, some self-help groups, you know, I'd start a 12 step group and I started, uh, I also started getting into a Buddhist recovery thing, um, and a smart recovery thing, which is uh self-management and recovery teaching, um, which is different than AA. It's more of a cognitive behavior therapy program mm -hmm. and then, and then refuge recovery, which is a Buddhist inspired program. So I took that stuff and I, and I put together meetings for that because we would be in like, you know, Okinawa, Japan, and, and these folks wouldn't have transportation to get off base and go to any meetings or anything like that. So I, um, yeah, I just founded some meetings in, in Japan for them. And I founded some meetings in California and, you know, they took off. Some of them are still going today, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That is cool. So what were <laughs> yeah. the traps that you saw people falling into? Like during your time in that role, like what, what, what are the traps that maybe might help people understand like, Hey, I'm in that trap or look out for these traps. Like what were you seeing people kind of fall into? <laughs> I think, you know, especially in the, in the Navy it was like a lot of folks were coming in and they were bringing in all the stuff that they, they had with them from, from home, you know, they would bring that baggage along. And, and some of the traps like that I saw was like, just not being able to, is that, I think the quote like to, they couldn't sacrifice, you know, who they were for what they would become. So they like, they joined the Navy to do good things with their life, but they brought all the garbage with them from home. And that was like, you know, just a, 
that was my experience too. Is like I, I brought my my problems with me, and but the traps that they I see people fall into is um you know they fall in with uh, with the crowd of you know regular drinkers and and they try to like um, they they they're in denial of what's going on. You know, they, they have a hard time coming to the realization that they're not like everyone else, you know, <laughs> and that yeah. it's just that denial is it's, it's thick and it's, it's easier to see from definitely the outside looking in, but it's, it's, it can be quite the veil for someone on the inside looking out and uh, they yeah. just fall into regular partying patterns. But for them, we know it's different that they don't go out and just have a couple of drinks and, and, and go home and go to bed. They, they go out and, and turn it now, tear it down and, and burn the city down every weekend. So, and then, um, yeah, just using it for, you know, to, as a, as a coping mechanism, you know, like, you know, and getting into these patterns where like, I, you know, it's like having to have a drink at a certain time every day. And, and yeah. And how do you, what's the, what's the typical success recovery path that kind of you see, you know, these people come, come recover from? Well, the people that I see that are successful in recovery are someone that they normally get down pretty low, and they, and there's normally some type of incident that are, where they get in trouble and or something. As I've joked before, it's like you know, an alcoholic's like a tea bag. You know, they tend to work when they're in hot water. <laughs> so, <laughs> but and it's it's just that's the pattern. It's like, it's unfortunate is that like the people that seem to have gone lowest you know are the ones that normally have success to come back out it's the people that are kind of like getting in just a little bit of trouble and surface level here and there they're the ones that just keep going back to it and going back to it but it normally i mean a normal a recovery pattern it involves some type of of clinical um treatment whether it be outpatient or, or inpatient um and then it's normally most people follow it up with you know a 12-step program and not everyone's doing 12 steps and and that's okay there's there's but something has to follow it up there has to be some type of aftercare and some some pretty massive uh lifestyle changes you know I like to say like the only thing that needs to change is everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, it sounds like you're saying like they 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 felt enough pain to say, okay, I don't want to feel that again, you know, right. and I don't want to feel like feel what worse than that feels like, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So so back into the wellness stuff then. Yeah. What Um. You know. So how has that stuff supported you and in, in in kind of where you are today? Yeah. So I mean, so into the wellness thing, you know, I got into meditation through a group called Mindfulness for Veterans, which uh, I really need to go and, and try to track down the uh, licensed clinical social worker who pushed a pamphlet across the desk one day to me and got me started on that journey because she probably has no idea how much she has affected my life. Um, but yeah, I was in couples counseling and uh, and there were some indicators, I guess, to the counselor that I was uh, suffering from some post-traumatic stress and uh and she pushed a pamphlet across and she was like, I think I want to check this thing out. And it was called Mindfulness for Veterans. And it was a free meditation group out in California. And I and I went and I jumped in with both feet and uh, I hadn't stopped since. Uh, and now I still have a daily meditation practice. And really what that's done for me is it's, it's literally changed my brain. I mean, it's literally has changed the structure of my brain. Now, uh, chronic stress, uh, you know, there's been studies that chronic stress tends to like shrink the prefrontal cortex and enlarge the amygdala, making me not be able to think as well and also much more reactive and such. And what's amazing is that um, meditation has been shown like even one meditation session, they can see changes in the brain um, where it actually can thicken the uh, 
the, the cortical thickness of the prefrontal cortex. So my prefrontal cortex actually gets larger and my amygdala tends to shrink. So I'm like much less reactive and, and mm. much, I can think much clearer. I can concentrate better. I am more um, empathetic and compassionate and more connected with people than I've ever been. I'm more comfortable in my skin than I've ever been. Um, and all that from what, you know, sitting still and, and, and concentrating on my breathing for, you know, 10 to 20 minutes every morning. It's pretty amazing payout. So is, is that it? Like, you know, cause I, I'm trying to learn more on the meditation side. Um, and Elizabeth Gear, who was another podcast guest, um, came on and we were talking about this and I, I got to ask this question cause I'm trying to get a good answer for it. Uh, like how does one meditate? Like what? Mm-hmm. I, I know why I'm trying. I, I'm not convinced yeah. I know what I'm doing yet. I know I'm doing it every day. Like yeah. what's, how would you recommend someone get started or what's the, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> how <laughs> what are we doing meditate? <laughs> So what I, you know, is I, what I would suggest is, you know, is there's probably a thousand different apps out there. It's just download one. I mean, I'm, I'm not plugging it or being paid for or nothing, but I started with Headspace, you know, and it really, it just, you know, a guided meditation is best rather than saying that, um, you know, I'm going to do a silent meditation and unguided and I'm just going to sit here. Cause like when I was first inter- introduced to meditation, it was like, uh, I was introduced through a 12 step program as part of the 12 steps is, is, you know, through, uh, prayer and meditation, they, uh, seek contact with a, with a higher power, but I, it wasn't the best introduction. Cause I was like, well, what do I do? Like, well, you just sit there. I was like, okay, well, what, I mean, well, just sit here. Yeah, just sit there and close your eyes and listen. And I'm just like, okay, man, like what? I would close my eyes. And at the time, like, you know, it was just like a hurricane inside my head. When I closed my eyes, I was like, oh, geez, that was not pleasant, you know? But yeah, a typical, yeah. like, mindful meditation, a concentration meditation would be, you know, to close your eyes and you know, or shift your gaze downward and, and sit comfortably and sit upright, but not uptight, you know? And, and then, um, you know, I, I normally start with like three deep cleansing breaths just to try to downregulate any of my, my, my sympathetic nervous system and get me back to at least a base of, of rest and digest. And then, um, from there it really is, it's like, it's so simple. It could drive you crazy. It's like, you know, you just constantly, you choose a chosen object for awareness, normally the breath. So I just concentrate on my breath coming in, concentrate on my breath coming out and then concentrate on my breath coming in concentrate on my breath coming out. And, and any time that in my mind, if I can say, Hey, my thoughts have drifted and I started thinking about the podcast I did with Dale the other day, I'm like, all right, bring it back, bring it back to concentrate on my breath coming in, my breath going out. And every time I'm able to recognize my mind has drifted and bring it back to my chosen object of awareness, like that's meditation. And I'm really doing well if I can do that and not beat myself up over my mind drifting. It doesn't want to, it doesn't want to sound like this. And my brain is like, I'm thinking about something. I was like, Oh my God, you're not supposed to be thinking about this. You're thinking about your breath. Jeez, you're always thinking about other shit. You're not supposed to think about your breath. You know, God, you know, something like that. It should be more like, Oh, thinking I'm thinking, or I'm fantasizing about the future or I'm having memories of the past. Okay. Bring it back to the breath. And that's a mindful meditation. Now there's many different forms of meditation. There's open awareness meditation where you just kind of like, let you know, let it, let it rip and <laughs> let your thoughts drift. There's, there's body scan meditations where I concentrate on like, you know, starting maybe with my, my left foot and working my way up to my left ankle and just, you know, really there's meta meditations, uh, loving kindness meditations where you, you know, maybe say a mantra silently or out loud. There's all sorts of different types as I would, uh, 
as I would joke and say that like, you know, meditation's like a crescent wrench. It will fit any knot. There's a meditation out there for it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you, you would, re- how would you recommend someone get started? So you mentioned, try, try an app like Headspace or something like mm-hmm. that to do guided meditation. Yeah. Uh, what, I would like it, in the mornings, like what do you? Mornings are normally best. So again, it's like any other habit to establish something of say, hey, um, at, you know, maybe you don't want to be so rigid with it, but you could say, you know, at six a.m. every morning, I've set aside these fifteen minutes of of to do a five minute meditation, and that's five minutes of me preparing myself to get ready to do it, and maybe five minutes of reflection afterward or something, just to cut, carve out that time in your day. Mornings excuse me, mornings are normally best for folks to do it, um, where to do it, you know, find a quiet place, maybe in your house, or if you don't have a quiet place in your house, somewhere outside. Um, but as long as it's somewhere comfortable and like free of distractions, um, meditation is not like, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be this suffer festival where you try to like, you know, pressle yourself into some full Lotus position and, and, you know, gut through it. Um, you should be comfortable and, and relaxed and, and it's, um, consistency, you know, it's, it's really important. It's, it's, it's better to do, you know, a five minute meditation daily than it would be to like, Hey, no, I don't, I don't do meditation throughout the week. I just do a 45 minute long sit, you know, on Saturday. Yeah. Consistency is key, I think in it. And, um, patience of, you know, of, of, if you, Hey, I, I meditated, you know, I meditate. Chris Norris told me to meditate and I meditate and I don't feel anything, man. <laughs> what a rip off. <laughs> That'd be like, you know, all right, well, you went to the gym and you did like one curl up and then you're in the, you know, in the mirror, like, how come I don't have biceps yet? It's like, you got to keep going, you know, consistency is key and you'll get there. So that was my experience. It took about, I started noticing the change. I'd say about three months in. I really, really. Uh, and what was the like, change? Uh, like, what's the benefit? Like what, the change was just that, that I was able to clear my, you know, clearer thoughts, uh, concentration, uh, not as distracted, was able to monotask a lot better. Um, just felt calmer overall. Uh, you know, there's that, that I'll probably hammer it, but the Viktor Frankl quote of it, that basically between stimulus and response, there's a space. And within that space lies our growth and our freedom, I think is how it's said. Well, that space, it gave me that space. Mm. Like I didn't have that space. <laughs> my, my stuff was like stimulus reaction, stimulus reaction. You know, yeah. now it was like stimulus, sit with it, chill, like what's going on and then respond to it, you know, respond to it with, with some uh, wisdom, you know, rather than just a, uh, yeah, man, just like a, a bull in a China shop going through life. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's kind of what I needed to hear, you know, around the patience aspect of it and, and kind of what to focus on. Cause I'm in, and I, and I probably should. So I've been doing silent stuff. I've been going 30 minute silent meditation. Mm-hmm. I probably need to just go do some guided for a little bit and, you know, work my way up. But, um, you know, I, I, I was telling Elizabeth yesterday, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm just getting worse at it. you know, like I felt like good at one point And then now I feel like, you know, monkey mind, like it just mm. like, it's that hurricane. You said like that, that hurricane mm-hmm. in and I get, cause I'll put like a white noise. I put my headphones on, I'll throw some white noise on mm-hmm. and I'll try to concentrate on my breath, but I don't know, just yeah. probably just as so much I've been working on. Like my brain's like, no nah, man, we can't be sitting here. Yeah. We got to work, bro. Like, what are you right. doing? Like, no, nah, right. get yeah. to work, you know? Yeah. Totally natural. Totally natural, man. I think like the default mind is a storytelling mind. 
you know, and it doesn't like it. Like it doesn't like, like, no, like this is like really just concentrate on my breath. Like, come on. You know, but I think more a, important things to do. <laughs> yeah, the gym thing was a yeah. great analogy because I do recognize this is a workout for my brain mm-hmm. and th- my ability to control it. Um, and I I have noticed like since I've been meditating, like if I'm not being present, like, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. out on a walk with my wife or something like that, and I realize like she's talking, telling me about something and I'm not paying attention. I'll do what you said. I'll go, Hey, you're not, you're not here. Like bring it back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll, I'll use like focus on my breath for a couple of breaths to kind of do that. To kind of go, Hey, you know, you're over here. She's over there. She's talking to you, you know, bring it yeah. back. So I did, I did nice. notice that I was getting something out of it. Uh, just recently, like I say, just, you know, slamming and bamming, you know, with this lines guide stuff I've been, you know, meditation has been a fight and it's been a fight. That's that's awesome, man. It's awesome to hear you're doing that. And I, and I do the same, like the breath is the anchor. The breath is the anchor back to the present moment, you know, and the present moment is a place that I don't, I don't hang out in very much. <laughs> and I need to, I need to hang out there a lot more because that's where I can really make any difference. You know, that's where I can really get some things done. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. My brain so I um, to think it, about what's going to happen in five years or, or some shit that happened five years ago. Yeah. The other thing that, um, I've been loving about your post on LinkedIn is kind of getting into some of the breath work. So, so yeah, was yeah. meditation what got you into the breath work? And I, I picked up, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I recognize you're probably reading a couple books that I've read as well, um, yeah. and following some stuff. So, talk to me. What have you learned about breath work? What got you into that? Yeah, I like breath work. Um, I like because um, I take it from the um, the, the military, it's, you know, aspect of it is like I had like when you know I was running the gun with naval special warfare. We had things called like immediate action drills. So I like to have something in my pocket, like you talked about, like hey, bring it back and anchor on the breath. Well, I do like the same thing. If I get jazzed up and worked up, I know that there's breath work out there that can bring me back to you know calm down my my sympathetic nervous system and bring me back from a fight or flight type response to a rest and digest where i can where i can think rationally and some of that breath work is like uh andrew uberman talks about what's called a psychological sigh which is a deep breath in and then a and then a breath at the top and then a long extended out breath and that long extended out breath is like that's the money maker right there that thing that's what activates the vagus nerves and starts to activate that sympathetic nervous system so i'll do those um i'll do breath work like four seven eight breath which is four seconds in hold for seven seconds long exhale out the mouth for eight seconds and again that's just down regulating my 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 nervous system and i'll use that to help me fall asleep too at night i'll do four seven eight breaths i'll do box breathing i was first taught box breathing by uh navy seals which is four seconds in hold for four seconds four seconds out hold for four seconds four seconds in so on and so forth and it looks like a box you know when Mm -hmm. you're going to the four by four by four i started doing um a one-two ratio of breath, which is basically four seconds in, four seconds out, and then and then increasing the out. So four seconds in to six seconds out to four seconds in to eight seconds out. And that eight seconds out is when I'll really start to you know, bring it down to start to, to power down the Death Star. So <laughs> But yeah, so that's some of the breath work I do. I, I know of Wim Hof and I know a lot of people are into Wim Hof breath. I haven't gotten into that. I know like uh, talked about our, our mutual friend jt i think jt's getting into that 
hot and heavy. So, um, yeah, I'm like just a big supporter of it. And it's like, man, it's just like so simple. It's like, there's gotta be more to it. Really? We're just like working with our breath. It's like, yeah, it's, that's it, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a life changer. You know, it's really, it's great. And it's great to have those things in my pocket, you know, cause, um, you know, things pop up, man. I mean, just the other day, it's like I, I flipped open my, my MacBook here and the whole screen looked like uh, the snow on a TV. And I was like, like, you want to stimulate your sympathetic nervous system, have that happen. <laughs> and I was like automatically thrown into like, oh my God, so what do I do? You know, I'll take a couple breaths before I do anything so I can start to think rationally, you know. We do it automatically. We don't even like think about it, you know. It's like if if something comes up and something's bothering somebody, you hear them like let out this message, <sighs> you know. Yeah. Like you're yeah. already you're doing it without you know it's natural to do it, but then to do it with some intention and to do it proactively, like hey, let's let's do this, you know, let's let's hack into this system and be proactive about keeping ourselves, you know, calm and cool and collected so that we can make rational decisions. Yeah. Have you, have you dove into much of Wim Hof's story and kind of how he got into breath work and all that stuff? Yeah. 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 It comes but, from, but he comes says from tragedy, that, right? right? Yeah. It came from tragedy and he went and like his wife committed suicide. He goes mm-hmm. and he jumps in the frozen lake mm-hmm. and uh, it, because like you said, naturally you j- imagine you jump in, break the ice, jump in a frozen lake. What's going to happen? You're going to start huffing and puffing <laughs> and, and, uh-huh. um, he like had this experience from that and then went, went after it and turned it into a yeah. lifelong passion of figuring it's that amazing. out. And it's amazing. So anyone who hasn't, man, go out, I think on YouTube, you can find the vice documentary. I think that it's pretty intriguing to kind of see what he's done with like his autonomous systems, you know, yeah. his immune system his his body heat, you know, um, all of the yeah. above. It's, um, it's amazing, but it's a, it's a, it's a good Testament. What I love about him, it, you know, it's not like he's going, um, like, I'm David Copperfield and no one else can is the greatest thing. Do all this magic that I can do. He's like, no nah, man, like, look, we can all do this, you know, right. um, check this out. And you know, I took those college students, like when they tested his immune system control, like him controlling his immune system response, um, what they ejected him with E. Coli or something like that. Some sort of E. Coli. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, 99.99% of people like have major reactions to this. It's some sort of test they do, to see how people are going to react to um, maybe some sort of cancer treatments or something. Um, but anyways, he like the, none of it happens. Like, you know, 99% of people have like major reactions to it. He's like, now watch this. <laughs> Basically hold, hold my beer. Watch this. Right. Um, hey, now hold my breath. Watch this. He, um, <laughs> get, <laughs> he uh, gets ejected with it. And the worst he has is a, is a mild headache. And all mm-hmm. the scientists are all like, well, you know, it's you, you're special, blah, blah. And he goes, no, right, I can right, right. get some, give me some college student, give me some students and I'll teach them how to do it. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, how long do you need? Like a year? He's like six weeks and they come yeah. back and they can all do it, you know? And it's like, and that's, Amazing. that's what I like about his story and what he, he's doing. Because I think, I think, look, we, through technology and, and, and I'm talking to last, you know, uh, 200 500 years of technology, we've really lost, I think, to your point, some of our more primal ways of solving Mm. for, you know, these issues we have in wellness, you know, we've covered them up with technology, literally, like when it comes to our our ability to keep ourselves warm, we've covered it up, you know, and our body is not going to waste energy doing things that it doesn't need to do. Um, so it can't keep itself warm anymore because we've, we've got clothes to do that. Or we, you know, we can't heal. We don't heal ourselves anymore because we inject ourselves with medicines right, and, right. and medical technology. 
Yeah. But it can, like, there's a lot of stories out there about people who have used meditation yeah. and, mm-hmm. and other things to heal, um, you know, heal themselves. And, and I, yeah. and, and look, I, it's just interesting to explore, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, it's, I'm very intrigued by that stuff. I really am. It's funny. Is like, I go to the doctor and they ask me, all the time, I'm like, what, uh, what medications are you on? I'm like, none. They're like, you don't take any medication. I said, no, I meditate. I'm not, I'm heavily meditated. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, man. And like, so when back into the wellness stuff, it's like, yeah, I, I meditate is a big part of my, my thing, but also like exercise, you know, I'm pretty, pretty dedicated to that. Nothing, you know, not nothing extreme. I'm, I've kind of reeled it back as I talked about before. It was like, you know, um, I had an injury in 2019 that really set me back and, uh, uh, it made me, uh, reapproach, uh, how I was doing my exercise. Cause I was, what was that? What happened to you? I, Oh, I had a, uh, L4, L5 herniation. I had a nine millimeter bulging disc in my back that, uh, mm. blew out when I was training for a 110 kilometer race in Japan. Um, and, uh, it was pretty bad. I mean, it was really bad. <laughs> I got like floppy foot syndrome from it and everything. And, uh, went to physical therapy and all that. And, uh, went to mental therapy from it too, because I was really leaning so hard on my running and my athletics that it was becoming, you know, a problem. Um, where I was doing, like, I was just, I was, I was putting too much of my self-worth, my validation into it, you know, and like posting my, my results and, and really, you know, look at my race results and my distance and my speeds and my times and how much I climbed this week and blah, 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 you know, and just really being a slave to it. And then, uh, my back blew out and, uh, I went to physical therapy, but I also went to mental therapy and it was, uh, it was pretty funny because I, I was like told the doctor and, uh, the therapist was like, you know, I've heard that, um, that unresolved trauma can manifest itself in the body as uh, physical injuries. So, you know, yeah, I've been through some things and I'm here to talk about some things, but I'm really just here to get healthy because I got this 110 kilometer race coming up <laughs> and I want to get, I want to get healthy for it. And that's when it like started, that opened it up and he was like, Hmm, okay, well, running seems really important to you. So let's explore that. And, uh, yeah, so I've come back to exercise and running from that injury, um, differently you know i'm now i'm approaching it because i want to do it because it's healthy and it's fun it's like i don't you know i'm just i'm not a slave to it as i was you know i'm still running 20 25 miles a week and you know sometimes i'll build up like depending on what i got going on i might build up to a 50 60 mile week i'm gonna do like a like i did a 31 mile run in uh august for uh extortion one seven i do that every year to, and i do it as a fundraiser now um for the honor foundation and then uh, prior to that, my biggest run was uh, I did I did a hundred miler. That was insane. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. That was one of the most painful experiences of my life. <laughs> Is that right? Wow. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, kept, I knew it was going to hurt. I just didn't know it was going to hurt that much. <laughs> it was not on the brochure. Like it, it was it was incredible. But um, I'm glad I did it. It was a it was a you know a testament to the human spirit. You know that like stronger than I ever thought we were, you know, kind of stuff like just keep pushing forward. It was, you know, at the end, it was amazing. It was a really amazing thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man, I don't know if I got another one in me, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, Yeah. so there's that. And then also just like, you know, I mean, I, there's all eight dimensions of wellness. I practice mental wellness, physical wellness, social wellness, financial wellness, you know, intellectual wellness, um, environmental wellness, all you know, I'm into all of it, man. Just, um, yeah, just trying to be my best self and, uh, and then also trying to help 
people on the way, you know, taking my, my life experiences and my academics and my passion for it and just help who I can along the way. So, yeah. And you, you, uh, it's awesome. And I mean, you feel, man, how do you feel now? I feel great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I mean, I feel, I don't know. I feel like I'm a man on a, on a, on a mission for sure with it. You know, I want to spread the goodness and not, but not be, too pestering about it but you know i'm trying to get folks on board with some of it and um i feel as though you know meditation and 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 the wellness and all those practices will be like you know where jogging was you know in the 19 you know 60s or something when it first started coming around like people were like jogging like you do out and run you know and now it's like everyone has a gym membership just about and folks are lacing up every day to go run marathons and so on and so forth it's like i think you know, 20 years from now, it'll be the same thing. You know, you'll be looking at meditation and, and wellness practices the same way. You know, I, I think it's like the pandemic has, has shown us, you know, that I mean, if you didn't have any sense of trauma before the pandemic, I think everyone has it now. And I think it also showed many of us, uh, myself included, you know, like how fragile we were mentally, you know, lock us in a house for 90 days at a time or something and, and watch, watch me fall apart, you know? So, yeah. 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 There's a, there's a, there's a mental health gauntlet out there before us now, you know, from mm-hmm. social media, the pandemic currently, uh, it, it, you know, it, yeah, we, we've got a mental health gauntlet that we're climbing through every single day. And, you know, mm-hmm. we just got to pick ourselves up. I, I'm with you. Like I, I, you know, since kind of starting this journey with the Lions Guide stuff, I, I just want to be another soldier in a good fight, helping people pick their heads up from that. Mm-hmm. Go, Hey man, you know, you're that, that, that obstacle you're on right now, number one, you don't even need to be on it, but number mm-hmm. two, let's pick your head up. See, you're bigger than all that, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, because that's what I see. I see people are like, so can't see the forest for the trees right now. And man, we just, uh, very, you know, you said it earlier, like it's not one thing, it's everything coming at us right now. Various different aspects that are, um, you know, throwing these obstacles in our way that that if we can pick our heads up and realize what we're capable of and, uh, we can, we can get over them and even get rid of them, you know, and, um, the more, the more each one of us does it, you know, um, there's no one, one thing I've learned the last 18 months is like, we've got to stop thinking there's one brushstroke that's going to solve everyone's problems and applies to everyone. Like everyone's got to turn inward, inward and stop trying to solve the world's problems before you can solve your own. Like, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I got you, man. It's like, be the, be the change you want to see in the world and, and find what works for you. And, uh, yeah, as you said, like everyone, you know, everyone's capable, like we're, we're way more capable than we probably give ourselves credit for, you know? And we just like, as Bob Marley said that like, you know, you never know how strong you would be until like being strong is your only option, you know? Yeah. Necessity, like, necessity. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Uh, so I don't want to let you off the hook. I know we got about five months left, but I want to give, uh, pay honor to your wife. You know, obviously it sounds like she, she bared with you in 2007, but how'd you meet your wife and how long have you been married uh, yeah. at this point? Yeah. So yeah, funny story. Um, I met my wife through MySpace, <laughs> and I know it's like, it's to me, it's always a crazy story is that, uh, I was on MySpace in like 2003. 2004 time frame and uh i was uh looking to travel to thailand there was a travel blog in there we've had the argument back and forth of who messaged who first but i think we settled it because she definitely messaged me first and uh, kind of uh 
she was a, a young college student in Bangkok at the time. And I was a, I was a raging alcoholic. So perfect fit. Right. Uh, yeah. But now, yeah. I traveled to Thailand, man, took a, took a chance and adventure, uh, bought a ticket and went there for 30 days and met my wife and I was on my best behavior while we were there. And cause she was super cute, super nice. And, uh, yeah, we traveled over Southern Thailand and we stayed in contact and went back a year later and asked her to marry me. And everyone thought I was crazy, just like they thought I was crazy when I was traveling to Thailand. And I wasn't too sure if I was sane as, you know, as well, but <laughs> it all worked out, man. She came to America That's in awesome. 2007. We got married and, and, and here we are still together 14 years later. And she's still super cute, super nice, super smart. <laughs> and, uh, I'm no longer a raging alcoholic. <laughs> so it's great. Yeah. It's all worked out. Win-win. <laughs> Win-win situation. And we got two kids. And yeah, we're actually, um, so when we wrap this thing up, I'm in Washington State now, getting out of the Navy. And we're going to travel across the country, uh, visiting friends along the way. And then I have family in New York, um, selling the truck in New York. And we're buying one-way tickets to Thailand. So uh, I love it. By the, yeah, by the time this podcast drops, I may be in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh I go into school for social work and uh, I'm going to continue my, my wellness practices and uh, get probably some uh, meditation teacher certifications along the way too. And uh, yeah, come back around and try to help some people, man. Well, if you come down 95 and pass through Maryland, you got to let me know. It's, uh, Absolutely. Grab some coffee. Maybe you can take me through a guided meditation. So I stop screwing it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely do that for you, man. No problem. I yeah, uh, appreciate it. So, uh, uh, real quick, uh, tell us what you're working on now and how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Uh, well, what I'm working on now is, uh, so I'm working with my, our mutual friend JT and, and, and working, uh, he's just, uh, starting out with the nonprofit consequence of habit, which was a, a great podcast. And now he's, he's taking it even further. And, uh, now a 503c nonprofit and uh so i'm helping them with their their meditation and mindfulness aspect to that um program and they're going to start having events and they're going to start having speaking engagements and uh it's it's exciting stuff it's 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 going uh it's going to get bigger and bigger uh as it ex- as it grows so now i'm helping with that and then really just uh busy with uh transitioning out of the military man i mean it's uh it's quite the quite the adventure um, that's enough, like in and of itself, but I, of course I, you know, got that personality. I got to get into a whole bunch of stuff, but yeah, uh, the best way to get a hold of me and the easiest way is through LinkedIn. You know, uh, if you, if you found me on Facebook, you're just going to see probably pictures of what I had for breakfast or lunch. So <laughs> definitely, uh, check me out on LinkedIn. That's more my, my, my professional networking, uh, place. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to connect with, uh, with anybody, man. And if, you know, if I can be any of any help, you know, if you wanted to uh, send me a, send me a message or something like that, or send me an email, you know, if, if anyone want to discuss any of this stuff further, I'd be totally open to that. And um, you would have my, um, you know, be confidential as well. It's not like I'm going to put your stuff out there. If you're, you yeah. know, if, you, if you're questioning whether or not you might have an alcohol use disorder, get a hold of me, man. Maybe we could troubleshoot it together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I appreciate that. So, yeah. hey, man, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story and tell us all your yeah, This has been great. A ton of fun, man. So uh, I, I love it. It's a lot of value and, and as always going to serve a lot of people out there. So so thanks for coming on, Chris. All right. Great. Thanks for having me, Dale. Right. Well, yep, thank you. Thank you.